Welcome to the SoCal Hymns podcast series. This is Sarah Richardson, and today we are featuring a conversation with Drex DeFord. Drex is an independent consultant with a long career as a healthcare executive, including his experience as co-founder and CEO of NextWave Connect, EVP and CIO at Stewart Healthcare in Boston, SVP and CIO at Seattle Children's Health System and Research Institute, and Corporate VP and CIO at Scripps Health in San Diego. Prior to that, he spent 20 years in the U.S. Air Force, where he served as a regional CIO, a medical center CIO, and chief technology officer for the USAF Health System's worldwide operations. Besides his work as a healthcare executive, he spent significant time leading some of healthcare's top associations. He served on the Healthcare Information and Management System Society, HIMSS, National Board of Directors, and is the past chair of both the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives, CHIME, and the CHIME Foundation. He's also held state HIMSS leadership positions in both Virginia and Washington. Drex has a couple of master's degrees, Master of Science in Healthcare Informatics from University of Alabama, Birmingham, Master of Public Administration, University of Oklahoma. He's a fellow in all the right organizations, HIMSS, CHIME, and ACHE, and he's also a certified healthcare chief information officer, CHCIO. Drex now spends his time bringing together trusted health systems, payers, associations, vendors, and investors to solve healthcare's toughest problems as president of his own healthcare practice, Drexio Digital Health. Drex, thanks for being on the show today. It's such a pleasure to have you here to talk about relentless prioritization. But we have to start. Our listeners are going to be curious about your current endeavors as you are truly an HIT pioneer and icon. What have you been up to recently? Well, uh, thanks for having me, first of all. I appreciate it. It's always uh, fun to hang out with you. I know we've uh, done some presentations in the past and we have something coming up uh, too. So, um, it's good. It's good to be here. And, uh, and again, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm doing uh, a whole bunch of different stuff. You know, when I, uh, when I left next wave connect and now it's been about three and a half years ago, I really didn't intend to, um, to do this. I thought I would do, I would take some time off and then find my next job. And that turned into a few people calling me and asking me for help. And I said, yes. And so I started Drexio digital health. Uh, it's truly an army of one. I'm an independent consultant, and I do work now with health systems, usually on a lot of strategy stuff, uh, sometimes kind of marriage counseling between executives. Uh, I also work with uh, vendors and vendor partners, everything from marketing to uh, helping them figure out their value props uh, to product development. And then I do a lot of I work with startups and VC firms and PE firms, and that probably is all I need to say about that. Uh, So I'm having a lot of fun. I have a lot of flexibility with my time. So I'm working on lots of different things and uh, and, uh, trying to stay out of trouble. So in a recent presentation that you were able to do as, as part of your independent consulting, you touched on what you called relentless prioritization. It's a hybrid of governance and strategy, et cetera, but it's also a moving target in IT. How do you keep organizations focused and how have you used this content to help them be more successful? Sure. Yeah. I, you know, it's one of the things that I think when we think about our personal lives, at least many of us. Uh, when we think about our personal lives, we're pretty good, pretty good about prioritization. We make decisions like 
I need to pay the mortgage payment this month instead of going on that vacation to France. And we decide some things we're going to save for and some things we're going to take care of right now. And and we do a pretty fair job of uh, of prioritizing. Although, you know, you would say that the amount of credit card debt that we have right now, maybe we don't do such a great job of uh, prioritizing uh, in general. But that definitely spills over into your work life too. Um, even people who do a good job prioritizing, prioritizing personally sometimes struggle with it. Uh, I think when it comes to uh, doing work in health systems and startups and and uh, vendor partners, they, they, I don't know what it is, but it's almost, it feels like it's a different world. There's, for CIOs today uh, in particular, there's too many projects. There's too much demand on the teams that they have in place that are also running current operations and then being tasked to uh, execute projects flawlessly. And uh, it all comes down to ultimately really being able to sit down with your peers in an organization and figuring out a better way to prioritize. And that's really what that, that presentation was about. I sort of took, uh, took the folks in the audience through a process of governance and relentless prioritization and uh, helped help them think through a better way, hopefully a better way to prioritize than they do today in their health systems. So when you think about infrastructure, applications, knowledge management, these are the non-negotiable items that are all about keeping the lights on in an organization that the staff has to do well. This is before we ever get to some of the fun projects and some of the new innovative things coming down the pipeline. How do you keep these areas funded and exciting for the organization? Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a really great question. You know, we, I think about them as uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Uh, with infrastructure at the bottom of the pyramid and business and clinical applications in the middle and knowledge management, or some people will call it business intelligence, whatever you want to call it kind of as the capstone, kind of as the pinnacle of the pyramid. And ultimately, you know, what what seems painfully obvious, but we don't necessarily treat it that way, is that if we don't have really great infrastructure, I mean, if the power won't stay on in the data center and the network won't stay up, you can have all the cool applications that you want, and they simply won't work because they won't have a network to run on. And if you don't run the applications well, or you haven't installed them properly, or you haven't optimized them well, then the data that's in those applications certainly aren't going to feed your business intelligence needs. You're not going to have the data that you need to make good, the best business and clinical decisions. So, you know, from a first things first perspective, it really, for me, comes down to the infrastructure has to be not cutting edge, not bleeding edge, but relatively modern. The applications same way. And a lot of that gets back to things like prioritizing application rationalization. If you have four applications that do the same thing, you know, can you sit down with your business or clinical partners and pick one and you know, kill off the other three? And then ultimately the stuff at the top, which I think we struggle with quite a bit right now, and maybe at least part of the reason is we're not really taking this relentless prioritization process to the rest of our work. Now, realistically, I think, too, um, when you think about that pyramid structure, infrastructure at the bottom, apps in the middle, uh, knowledge management or business intelligence at the top, if you do this really, really well, ultimately what happens is the things that you want to know to make business better business or clinical decisions, the knowledge management piece, 
should drive the applications that you buy and how you install them and how you use them, how you train them, all of those sorts of things so that you get good data into the systems and you make workflow better, which then in turn should drive the infrastructure that you buy and install, including security and, and, and all of those kinds of things. So, you know, that's a lot about kind of this Maslow's hierarchy of needs idea, but it really ties into this concept of relentless prioritization pretty well. And a lot of that stuff isn't really exciting. You talked about exciting stuff and, uh, and keeping those things funded. Um, I think some of this ultimately is a, is a, if you can't run the things in the pyramid in that Maslow's hierarchy of needs pyramid well, and you can't run them efficiently, then you're right. You won't have money to do other cool, interesting, fun stuff that the organization really wants to do. Everybody wants to be an innovator. Everybody wants to do something new and different. Uh, but that means that money's going to come from somewhere, and at least some of it has to come from the idea that you're running your op- your operations really, really well. So you talk about cybersecurity. You tossed a little bit about that in there. And I'm wondering, where does cybersecurity fit into this ecosystem? Yeah, it's a, it's a, a big part of it. In many ways, I guess I would say it's kind of a wraparound uh, to this idea of a, of a hierarchy of needs or a hierarchy of operations. Um, one of the things I didn't say when we opened up and you asked me what I was doing uh, one of the things that I do is that I'm on the board of directors of Synergistic, which is a publicly traded healthcare consulting firm, so a healthcare security consulting firm. So um, just to completely disclose that. Uh, but I, I think that it's a, it's a wraparound for all of these things because ultimately you have to run, again, security really well uh, as a foundational part of both infrastructure, including infrastructure applications and business intelligence. And really, the further you go up the pyramid, the more uh, kind of risk that can exist. Um, at the infrastructure level, it's about really maintaining control of, you know, servers and switches and, and user devices and making sure the bad guys stay out as much as you can make that happen. And when it comes to applications, there are a lot of things that, uh, that you have to do, I think, as an application manager, just to make sure that when people leave, you delete their accounts and you keep your applications cleaned up, you keep them patched and ready to go uh, so that they are as secure as they can be. And then at the business intelligence level or the knowledge management level of that pyramid, uh, you, you, have, um, you have a huge amount of responsibility because that's really where you're consolidating a lot of the data from the applications. And that those really become the crown jewels when it comes to cybersecurity. So the efforts that you put into cybersecurity uh, wraps around everything that you do. I think you really have to think about it from the very beginning of the installation of a project. And of course, a big part of any of those, and I use air quotes here, IT projects are people process technology. So it is, you know, the people and the process that also has to be secure. It's not just the technology. It's a great reminder about the human aspect of cybersecurity. People forget sometimes that it always starts with the, the human element. So let's talk about governance, because none of it happens well without it. And execs say they support it, but let's be honest, most of them hate it. So how do you approach that dynamic? 
I mean, it's funny. A lot of the, um, especially with health systems, a lot of the work that I do that I that I'm asked to come and do um, may not have anything to do with governance, um, but maybe everything from helping to structure strategic plans to doing revisions around uh, uh, budgets uh, to you know, like I said, doing marriage counseling between uh, senior executives. But when I wind up asking a lot of questions about why is this a problem and what is the issue? What are you struggling with? Um, in the spirit of Toyota production system, asking why five times usually gets me somewhere in the area of governance and that inability to prioritize or the illusion that you're prioritizing. You sort of say, exactly say they support it and most of them hate it. The illusion that they're prioritizing, but the reality that they're not truly prioritizing. And, um, you know, this ranges from everything from business or clinical executives who see a demo or read about something or hear about something or go, you know, to a conference and see something being demonstrated and come back and heave it over the wall to the IT team, to the, to the CIO. And it becomes a, again, air quotes, IT project. Um, that's a problem. If you don't have true business or clinical executive sponsorship for these projects, because in IT, CIOs and CIOs teams don't do most of the technology work that they do for themselves. They do it for someone else in the organization, business or clinical partners. And so those business and clinical partners really need to own those projects. They need to own that technology. They need to own the reality that they have to change and adjust the people and the process in their departments to implement that technology in the most effective and most cost-effective way possible. And that concept, if you can really pull it together, and I talk about this concept in a different way too. I talk about, um, I often talk about it as a customer issue. Who's the customer in all of this? And in every place that I've ever taken over as CIO, when I ask that question, I get, well, the doctors are the customer or the nurses are the customer or the CFO is the customer. And and I have to take a very different approach to that. Um, usually this is a big part of the culture change that I, I get involved with. And that is that Doctors and nurses and lab and radiology and pharmacists and administrators are not your customers as the CIO or the team of the CIO. They are your partners to be engaged in the provision of great care to our customers, the patients and family. That changes everything. That makes us, in reality, and it is real, it makes the CIO and the CIO's team as important to the delivery of care as anyone else in the mix. And so your job changes at that point. It really isn't to, you just tell me to jump and I ask how high. It truly becomes a partnership of, here's something I'm thinking about. Okay, let's talk about how it fits into our strategic plan, our other partners that we work with. Uh, uh, you know, how are we going to change the workflow to make this happen? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? It really makes the CIO job a much bigger job than in some places it is today. And when it sort of backs up into this governance idea, that, again, is kind of tied to the idea that your business and clinical partners have to work together as a team, a governance team, 
to make really, really hard decisions about the things that everybody wants to do. Because there's only so much energy, so much time, and so much money uh, in the bucket. And um, you have to use it in the most effective way possible to affect positively the mission that the healthcare system has. And if you don't do that, you're just being sloppy and you're wasting money and you're frustrating people. And, and my experience has been they will leave. They will go somewhere else. They will switch industries, which is bad for all of us. So this idea of really being able to sit down with your partners and um, have a process where you have committees and subcommittees, you think through carefully what you really want to do, what you want to prioritize uh, as important, and then you have to march down that road. You have to say, look, the things that wound up being below the line, the stuff that we're not going to do this year. It's not because it's a stupid idea or somebody had a terrible idea or you should be fired for suggesting that. It's nothing like that. It usually has to do with there's only so much time, energy, and money to do this stuff. There's only so much change an organization can go through. And so we're only doing the things above the line. And we're going to do that really, really well. We're going to actively kill it for the things above the line. And we're going to actively not do the things below the line. So that means no little black operations or any of those kinds of things. And you have to have executives that support that and move forward with that idea. And if they do, what they wind up finding out is that, wow, this is way better than this chaos that we used to live with. Um, they may not like it in the beginning because they don't get what they want by yelling more loudly, but in the and my experience has been they like it a lot better because they really control the process a lot more than they thought they controlled the process before. That's a lot, right? Well, and, you know, what I love about all these pieces is really, you know, IT isn't always for IT. It really is for the clinical and business partners and then that cascading to patient care. But even the best governance structures are subject to sabotage. What defenses have you seen work? And then is offense a better strategy for IT in this space? Yeah, you know, I think uh, offense ultimately is a, is a better strategy. Now, in the beginning, it can be, <clears throat> excuse me, in the beginning, it can be a real challenge because you're right. Change is hard and um, healthcare organizations don't want to change. Um, I have another, I've written about this too on LinkedIn, but um you know, healthcare is kind of renowned for having antibodies to change. There are people who I swear must have uh, an additional duty title uh, called antibodies to change that when somebody wants to change something, their job is to come out and attack that change and just try to strangle it, try to destroy it. So you really have to be offensive. You really have to fight through a lot of those antibodies to change, to take the organization to a better place. Um, the, the reality too, I think is that the, the better you can be at that, the more trust you can develop over time, the more likely then it becomes, uh, that you will, as a CIO, have a better opportunity to steer and guide the organization because you will have really earned a seat at the table. You have, will have shown the organization that you're running your IS department as efficiently as possible. And you're showing that not just to the CFO, 
or the CEO or the chief operating officer, but you're, you're taking steps to not only have relentless prioritization, but relentless transparency. This idea that you're really helping everyone else understand everything that you're doing to possibly save a buck or make something more efficient inside the IS department. And my experience has been that when you do that, others start to realize that they need, they start to try to hold themselves to the same standard, right? This is truly kind of leadership 101. It's not, uh, you know, do as I say, it really is do as I do. And if, if you can, if you can take the offense, if you can move this kind of ideal forward, uh, your, your peers will come along and those who won't come along will become, uh, it'll become really clear that they're, maybe they're not the right people to be in your peer leadership team. And, uh, and, and they'll either uh, self-select and leave or ultimately maybe selected to leave. So you mentioned the strategic roadmap and having those partnerships, CFO, CEO, COO, and really having that uh, seat at the table with them and share decision-making. But how can IT be successful if the business vacillates on the strategic roadmap? Well, so some of this is, I think you have to expect that there's going to be some vacillation, right? There's going to be some, uh, some because every, in, in my experience too, every buddy that I've ever talked to. We come up with a plan and we have a plan and, you know, we have a good governance process and we've decided the things we're going to do and we've decided the things that we're not going to do. And then as Mike Tyson says, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And so the health system gets punched in the face and we do all the time. I mean, it's our environment right, right now. Um, I talk to teams and clients about this all the time. If you're in healthcare, you have to be comfortable with your uncomfortableness because change is real and it's going to happen all the time. So you have to build into this governance structure the capabilities of flexibility. You have to be agile in all of this. And that means that when you draw that line and say, we're going to do all the things above the line and we're not going to do the things below the line, there has to be a fairly significant, at least at the beginning of the process, there has to be a fairly significant amount of dollars and time and energy that you set aside for the unknown because you just don't know what else might be happening or what else might be occurring. And uh, so you have to build flexibility into the, into the strategic plan, into the IT strategic plan for that. Um, as the course of the year goes along, of course, this governance process that I'm talking about isn't something that is a one-time, you know, once-a-year event. It's really something that continues all the time. Because this unknown stuff comes up, uh, you have to flex and adjust to take into consideration the changes or the new things that might be happening to the department or a given project or a vendor partner that you have turns out you have some troubles with or they're acquired. I mean, it can be, you've seen it, Sarah, there's a hundred things that can drop a bomb on the very best plan that, uh, that you have. So you have to build flexibility into it. You have to be flexible. And by being, having relentless prioritization and relentless transparency, everyone at the table can see and be a part of the changes that need to happen. If a project that we said we were going to do ultimately has to go below the line because of a new thing that's come up, everybody in the room will know and understand why. 
guy. It's not CIO making a decision in the back room, you know, smoking cigars or whatever the case may be. It's we all saw what happened. We all agreed this is the right approach. We all agreed this is the thing that we have to do to change and make this work. And then it's also our job as those partners to be engaged in the great in the provision of great care to our patients and families. Those partners have to go back to their teams and explain why and how things are changing. So they have a couple of different responsibilities in this concept of governance. So when we think about the management of the portfolio, and it's not just the IT portfolio, and the PMO may reside in IT, we may be the ones to share status, to share prioritization, to your point. Um, when it, we think about whether it's capability, innovations, putting new initiatives, deciding what's above or below the line, how much should IT be pushing versus pulling? Yeah, that's a good one. And again, to me, I go back to <clears throat> Toyota Production Systems, um, I'm lucky enough to have lived in Japan for three and a half years, and then I've been back in the in the past ten years to spend time with uh, Toyota and Yamaha Piano and other companies. And so, pushing and pulling is definitely something that uh, they spend a lot of time thinking about and talking about. I think when it comes to those projects that we've talked about, where these are the things that are above the line and they're really owned by business or clinical partners. They need to pull those projects into place in their departments or across the organization, depending on what the project is. And IT's job is to be a brilliant implementer of the information technology portions of that project to support their partners. Um, but I don't think that it's always about, you know, pushing or supporting um, uh while partners pull, I think there's definitely times where IT has to pull too. I think back to a, uh, a terrible patient incident that we had at Seattle Children's, and we had a patient uh, we had a patient pass away because of a medical error, and um, it it never was it, it didn't really tie directly to information services. But when we sat down, when we spent you know literally a couple of weeks uh, in meetings, pulling together entire groups of uh, clinicians talking about what can we do to never let this happen again, um, it became really painfully clear to me that at least part of the problem was that we had older PCs. They took a long time to log on to. They had uh, patches that were applied when they were when they were first turned on, which delayed the access to the electronic medical record and other tools that clinicians needed. And so sometimes they would just skip that and go from their memory. And that clearly was not a good position to be in. So no one asked us to get out of the PC business at Seattle Children's, but we sat down and looked at some technologies that we were using inside the department. At the time, we were one of the very early pioneers of virtual desktop infrastructure deployment. And we started getting out of the PC business and making it really easy for clinicians and business partners to be able to move around the organization with a click of a button and their desktop that they had been working on in the ICU would now appear to them in their office exactly where they left it, still able to work on exactly the same things. That was an opportunity really for us to push to the organization, technology that they didn't know that they want or they that they needed that they didn't know about or understand, but 
um, we were able to bring something to our partners that ultimately made it better, faster, cheaper, safer, easier to access. Um, and, and that was good for not only them and their ability to engage with us, but better for the patients and families that were involved in the process. So I don't think it's one or the other. I think there's times where you are a supporter and a pusher. That's your responsibility. You have to pull this into place, these projects, that's yours. Um, but there's definitely a, a role for us in looking at the landscape in a healthcare organization and seeing where there might be opportunities for technology to make us better, uh, to make care better. And, and it's our responsibility to step in and lead that. It's a powerful example uh, of a difference between pushing and pulling, and thank you for sharing that perspective with us. When we say it, we need to bring these issues forward, and sometimes we think about solutions the organization needs before they even know that they exist, and other times when the clinicians, for example, really need to be able to own their own products and we help them be successful in that endeavor. Where does the accountability reside, and who is the gatekeeper? Is it a project-by-project conversation, or is there more of a philosophy within an organization? I think it's a I think it's a general philosophy. It ultimately has to be a culture change uh, overall. Uh, projects that involve and impact uh, end users, especially when it's specifically in uh, clinical or, clinical or business departments, individual departments, but especially when it stretches across an entire organization, um, the uh, the accountability. And, and this may sound maybe a little corny, the accountability ultimately resides with the chief executive officer. Uh, they need to make sure these things are successful because they cost a lot of money and they affect a lot of the staff and they ultimately are can be incredibly impactful on the patients and families that we serve. So the CEO's the the ultimate responsible person. Now, you know, we've all worked for several different CEOs and certainly we can't expect that they take responsibility like personal daily uh, checking on the progress of something responsibility for everything that ha- happens in a health system. They would never get anything done, but it's their responsibility to build a culture and a process to make sure that this gets done well. And that's, kind of goes back to this governance process that I'm talking about. If you have a good, strong governance process, if you're really clear on who of your, uh, to go back to my military days, right, who of your troops are actually responsible for the implementation of this project and look at them, you know, in the weekly meetings or the daily meetings or the monthly meetings that you have with your, with your staff. Uh, if the CEO looks at the, looks at the chief nursing officer and says, how's the nursing documentation implementation project going? It's really clear to everybody at the table that the CEO believes that the chief nurse is responsible for this, again, air quote, IT project. And, um, you know, that certainly gives him or her, the chief nurse, the opportunity to say, we're doing well, or here's the problem, or Part of the problem is the IS department and, um, and, you know, hold other people accountable to their responsibilities for the implementation of a project. So um, it, it is, I think, more of a uh, 
cultural concept of who's held accountable. And, and to me, again, the CEO is the ultimate gatekeeper. But if you have a good process like this in place and people start to build and understand those expectations, uh, they'll often take responsibility for these things before anybody starts to point out, no, that's your responsibility. They'll, they'll, they'll step up to be, they'll step up to the plate. Trex, the conversation with you always reminds, I think, all of us that are listening why you have been so successful in your career. And all of us, as we're listening, thinking, is it, is it this easy? Can I actually go back and do these things? Because everything you say resonates, and then you have those moments where like, yeah, this week we just got dropped in what I like to call parachute projects. Like, number one is no longer number one. It's the number two number one. And then they show up, and to your point, how do you reprioritize and have those conversations? So I think all of us are grateful that we know that the challenges are uh, not unique, but there are various ways to go about solving them. And so for our listeners that obviously know who you are and some who are fortunate enough to maybe be hearing you for the first time, what's the best way to reach out to you and connect with you if they want to follow up and utilize your services to help their organizations become more successful? Oh, thanks. I, um, I'm, I'm actually super easy to reach. I, uh, on Facebook, uh, you, you can look up uh, Drexio LLC, D-R-E-X-I-O LLC. It's the Drexio Digital Health page. And I post regularly uh, just stuff that I read and, and that I like. Uh, and it, it works for uh, folks who use Facebook a fair amount. I'm also on Twitter at DrexDeford, D-R-E-X-D-E-F-O-R-D. Um, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm very, uh, <laughs> I'm very promiscuous on LinkedIn. So I, uh, I will almost accept anyone's invitation if they, uh, if they uh, want to connect or follow. And then, uh, you know, you can always go to the website, drex.io, D-R-E-X.io, and all the connections and everything are, are there too. So if you, uh, if you only write down one thing, write down D-R-E-X.io. And uh, you'll be able to get to me in lots of different ways from there. But thanks for asking this. Very nice. Oh, absolutely. And thank you for taking time to spend with us today. Uh, it's always an, an honor and a pleasure to, uh, to be able to chat with you. Thanks again. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the SoCal Hymns podcast series. Join us next time for a conversation with Eric Barnett on patient engagement strategy. Special thanks to Esteban Parano, our audio and mixing engineer, for helping us to produce our podcast series.